Well, good evening. What do you do when you are metaphorically, so I'm talking emotionally, hot, tired, thirsty, when you're uh, panting for relief, you need some kind of relief, when the only thing that seems to come is tears, when you're mourning, all you have are questions, you have no answers. What do you do when you're facing oppression, it seems like at every turn? Mockery, taunting, when you're completely alone, heartbroken. What do you do when you feel that you are forgotten? What do you do when you're hopeless? There's a phrase that's been uh, thrown around a little bit. Um, I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but I think, I think we all have a little bit of a sense of its meaning. The phrase is, the dark night of the soul. Uh, Eckhart Tolle says that this is a term that's used to describe what one could call a collapse of a perceived meaning in life, an eruption into your life of a deep sense of meaninglessness. What do you do when the foundation of your very existence just goes up in smoke? Sometimes the triggers are the death of somebody close. Sometimes it's just that life is not going where you want it to go. I thought things were going to be different. I thought things were going to be better. I thought I was going to have achieved much more. Uh, Whatever it happens to be, just that something that's holding you up, it disappears. What do you do when that's the case? What do you do when you feel hopeless? What do you do when things are just hard? So if you have your Bibles tonight, I just want you to open up to Psalm 42. We're going to look at that. There's, there's two places you can go for this. You can go to verse 5, or you can go to verse 11. Take your pick. They're both the same. Okay, and we're gonna, this is a psalm that was written by the sons of Korah. We're not sure which son, maybe it was a few different sons. And we're going to look at, we're going to pull two things out of here, two things to remember and remember to do when we find ourselves maybe in the dark night of the soul, when things are just really hard. Okay, but before we do that, we're going to pray, because without... Jesus, this is going to turn into the dark night of the soul for me up here. Um, so, so let's pray because at the end of the day, we want God to speak. Um, he's the one, ultimately, as we're going to see, um, that, that offers hope and that is hope. Um, so let's go to him right now and let's ask him uh, to speak to us. Father, I'm so thankful uh, that you are the God of hope. I'm so thankful uh, that you are the God who speaks to us and you are the God who speaks, uh, who speaks words of hope, words of life to us. And Father, right now, I'm just asking that you would, uh, that you would speak to us, speak to me. Um, and, uh, and just give us whatever it is that you want to say to us tonight. Lord, I pray that this has been a, this has been a, a challenging time uh, for our church over the last little bit. Um, many are... Many are sick. Um, some have passed away. 
there's some really difficult times uh, for a number of families here. Um, and, and as you've said in your word, we're a body, and when one of us hurts, all of us hurt. Um, and so, Father, I just ask that you would, uh, that you would minister to us tonight through your word. Um, be, be with the words of my mouth, Lord. Keep back anything that, that you don't want uh, spoken um, and, and, and push forward anything that you do want spoken. Um, and, and, Lord, prepare our hearts to, to hear and to receive um, and, and to be able to do based on what you've said. I just pray this in Jesus' name. I pray this for Jesus' glory. Okay, so Psalm 42, we're going to look at verse 5 or verse 11, depending on where you want to go. And it says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, uh, the rest of the psalm, basically, uh, the author says he's hot, metaphorically, he's tired and thirsty, uh, emotionally, metaphorically, again, uh, he's panting for relief. All he seems to have are tears, he's in mourning, he's got questions, and those questions just seem to hit that brass ceiling, right? I'm not hearing anything from the Lord. He's facing oppression, he's facing mockery and taunting, he's alone, he's heartbroken, he feels forgotten, and he feels hopeless. So all those things that we described earlier, I just took them right out of the text, okay? That's the context for this psalm. And then he comes to himself at the end, or partway through, and then at the end, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So I got a question for you. And if you're taking notes, here's your first point. Um, talk to yourself. How many of you talk to yourselves? <laughs> Look at all those hands. I talk to myself all the time. And the reality is we all talk to ourselves all the time. You know, we're always... How many of you, are, how many of you fancy yourselves preachers? Preachers, anybody? No one's putting up their hand. Oh, <laughs> Pastor John put up his hand. Lori put up her hand. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? You're all preachers. You're all preachers because you're all preaching to yourselves all the time. You know what preaching is? Preaching is heralding, right? In the old days, you have this, usually with, you know, going before a king or something, you had this guy who uh, would go and, and, and he wouldn't necessarily hold the trumpet. Maybe he would hold the trumpet, but there'd be a trumpet blast and then this guy would step out and he'd go, hear ye, hear ye, right? That's a herald. And all he's doing is he's announcing, hey, guess what? The king is here. So be on your best behavior, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but that's heralding. That's what preaching is. When we're preaching God's word, we're heralding God's word. We're heralding good news. Okay, we're announcing something. That's what preaching is. And guess what? Each one of you is a preacher because each one of you in the quiet of your own mind is preaching yourself, to yourself something. You're heralding something. You're announcing something to yourself. When I'm in the gym and I get under some weight and I like it, I'm like, mm, you got this. This ain't nothing for you. <laughs> when I get under some weight that's a little bit too much, sometimes I go, oh man, I don't know if I got this. I don't know if I got this. And then that's when my lifting partner says, mm, you got this. This ain't nothing for you. Okay, we're preaching to ourselves all the time. When you're at work, when you're at work, what are you preaching to yourself? What are you preaching to yourself? I can handle it. Or... 
oh man, like this is so crazy. My boss is freaking out on, on me for something that I didn't actually even do. It's not my fault. It's their fault. Right? In our relationships, what are we preaching to ourselves? I was talking to a young man one time, and he was telling me about some struggles that he was having with his wife. And it became pretty apparent at some point that he was preaching some things to himself about his wife that were actually causing him to despise his wife. He's just like, hey, I'm just, hey, I'm just being honest about our strengths and weaknesses. So now I'm not sure you are. And you better be careful with harping on those weaknesses in her because what he was actually doing was he was actually preaching to himself that she doesn't measure up to him. Okay, we're preaching to ourselves all the time. When you're alone, what are you preaching to yourself? When you've failed in something, what are you preaching to yourself? Can I just, can I just, a little moment of transparency here? How many of you are in favor of pastoral transparency? Yeah? Okay. Okay. When I'm alone sometimes, it doesn't go well. Sometimes I go places where I'm just like, man, like, you did that, you didn't do it well. Ah, you idiot. How could you be so stupid or whatever? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't have to put your hands up. Don't out yourselves. Okay? But what are we saying to ourselves? Are we speaking hope or are we speaking hopelessness to ourselves? When you're talking about your future, you're thinking about your future. Young people, look up here for a second. I've been there. Okay? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? My future is coming, like, hurtling at me like a freight train. I've been asked since I was 10 years old, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I don't know. I just don't know what I'm going to be. What are you preaching to yourselves? Shoot, I don't have a future. If I can't control it, I don't have it. If I can't get my head around it, somehow it's not going to happen. Okay, what are we preaching to ourselves? In verse 5, we see the sons of Korah, they go, hold on a second here. Soul, why are you cast down? Okay, so this is, the first, this is our first point. Talk to yourselves. When you're in the dark night of the soul, when we feel depressed, we, sh- we, need, to be, we need to recognize the fact that we are talking to ourselves subconsciously, and probably those things aren't good things. Okay, and we need to grab hold of those things. Right, 2 Corinthians 5, take every thought captive to... Jesus, taking every thought captive to Christ, okay? So grab a hold of those things and say, like the sons of Korah here, soul, like you're talking to yourself, you're talking to your soul. Soul, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? In other words, what's going on here? What's actually going on here? Okay? So question yourself. Question the feeling. What's going on? And then... And here's point number two. Tell yourself the good news. Remember the whole preaching thing? We always think of, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the Baptist pastor with the big black suit and the big black Bible, and he gets up there and he preaches. What does he preach? The gospel. He, te- he preaches the gospel. You know what? You're all preachers of the gospel. You're all called to preach the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? We're going to get there. Where we, go with, where we go in the world, when we start preaching to ourselves, here's where we go hey, you know what? I'm going back to the gym here for a second. You got this. Ooh. Is your hope in you? 
Because if your hope is in you, that'll be your good news. Okay? Maybe it's, you know what? In the future, when I make more money, then I'll have that house, I'll have that car, I'll have that whatever it is. Is that what your hope is in? Can that actually deliver for you? Okay? So, we have to unpack the good news. And the sons of Korah start to do that for us. Okay? Verse 5, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Verse 6, hope in God. Hope in God. Now, I feel like I need to unpack that a little bit because that seems to me to be one of those sort of Christian phrases. It's like, hey, I, I realize like, things are really tough for you. Hey, you know what? Just hope in God. Hope in God. And you're like, thanks. Thank you. And you feel like you have to say that because you're like, I should know what that means, but I don't. And I'm just, by the way, I'm just talking from personal experience. Um, so everything I'm saying here, I'm just offering out of my own, okay, I do this, right? Hope in God. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know I should. I just don't know really what that means. Well, here, so here's the thing. So, so hope, John Piper talks about hope being a subset of faith, okay? So, so we, we've got faith, um, the, the uh, substance of things hoped for, evidence of things unseen, Okay. Faith actually looks all different directions. So faith actually looks back, right? So, so we believe things that have happened historically, and we're going to get there in a second. Things that have been happened historically, okay, as outlined in God's word, and we, we take those on faith. Faith says, yep, you know what? I'm believing God's word on that, okay? Faith is also something that acts in the present, right? I have, I have faith right now in what I've heard and what I've seen, and I'm walking in that faith, faith actually also looks forward. We call that hope, okay? Hope is forward-looking faith, okay? Is that okay for a definition? Hope is forward-looking faith. Okay, so hope in God. And then right, and then right after that, so hope in God, I'm going to unpack that. I'm going to skip some things. I'm going to come back to that, okay? So don't, don't, don't lose me on the hope in God part. And We're going to unpack that a little bit more, okay? But... The psalmist here says, for I shall again praise him. So I'm hoping in God. Why? Because I know, okay, forward-looking faith, that I will again praise him. I praised him before. When do we praise God? Typically, when do we praise God? We praise God when we're kind of happy with the way things have gone, okay? You know what? I just, something just went my way. So I'm praising God. God's just given me something that I've been asking for. So I'm praising God, okay? There's a song written, I think it's Casting Crowns, um, Praise Him in the Storm, Oh, I want to go back to all the things that he's given me. I'll praise him for those things, okay? But when we have a properly rooted hope in God, we can praise him in the storm. And like I said, we're getting there. We're getting there, okay? But hope in God, I will again praise him. So here's what I know. Here's what faith says. Here's what this forward-looking uh, faith says, okay? I will have reason to praise him again. I will. I will. I don't see it right now, because right now circumstances are preaching at me. Oh, things are really, really bad right? But I know I will praise him again. I'm hoping in God. All right? And then there's this reiteration at the end of that verse, my salvation and my God. So he's starting to declare some things to himself about who God is and what he can expect from God. Do you see that? It's right there in verse 5 or verse 11, depending on where you are. Hope in God. Why? Because I will praise him. I know that's coming. Why? Because he's my salvation. We're going to talk about salvation in a second. And he's my God. Okay? All of this is rooted in God. Now, here's the thing. 
the sermon's kind of over. How many of you are happy about that? Okay, the message is kind of over. Unless we miss this hope in God piece. Okay, when we hope in, when we hope in cars or when we hope in people or when we, we hope in you know, boats, planes, trains, trying to rhyme. When we hope in anything outside of God, when we hope in anything in this world, okay, hear me, when we hope in anything in this world, guess what? It is passing away. So forward-looking faith has to come right up against this brick wall that says, you know what, I'm not going to have that in the future. So if I'm placing my hope in it right now, guaranteed it will not be able to satisfy me long-term. And if we're really honest with ourselves, it won't satisfy us past probably the next couple of hours because we just, we get used to things and then we want what's next and then we want what's next and then we want what's next, right? So the object of our hope is actually really, really important, okay? And so when we say hope in God, here's the deal. Your perception of God is really, really important. My perception of God is really, really important. I heard a, I heard a story about a sermon that was preached by, um, by a, a man down in the States, and he preached on Isaiah 6, and there was no application in the sermon. None. He just expounded the text. And several years later, a lady came to him and said, you know what? We just went through the dark night of our souls. We were traveling in a car, and we were struck by another car, and our little girl went through the windshield, and we lost her. And the only thing that got us through was that picture of Jesus that came right out of Isaiah 6, the object of hope. Okay, so here's the thing. So talk to yourself. Tell yourself the good news. The good news is hope in God because of what God will do for his kids. God is good. He wants to give good things. But he will never give you something He doesn't want to give you something that will take your heart away from him because he's the ultimate good, okay? So I want to take you to five places. Sounds like a lot. It's actually three places. And I want you to remember these. I want you to put them into your... Put them in. Put them in. Memorize them. Do you know, this is a bit of an aside, do you know that there are people in this room who have entire books of the Bible memorized? Do you know why? Because they get something about the object of our hope and that when we sit at his feet, we're imparted with his character and his authority and his power to take things on. Anyway, that's just an aside. So I want to take you to, I want to take you to five places and I'm going to wrap up with this. Five places. Get them in here. And these are my go-tos. Not that I know anything. Okay, but these are my go-tos when I'm facing the dark night of the soul. When I'm facing um, just hard times. I just don't know what to do. I feel terrible. I feel depressed. I feel lost. I feel hopeless. Here's where I go. You know why? Because what I need to know, here's what I need to know. Here's what I need to know. I need to know who God is. I need to know who God is in my life. That's what I need to know. So here's the first one. The first one is Isaiah 6. I alluded to it already, okay? It's going to be up on the screen. Feel free to close your eyes. I'm not preaching these passages. 
I'm just, I just want to paint the picture, okay? Feel free to look at the, the passage on the screen in your Bible or just close your eyes because remember, it's the picture. It's the picture of who God is. Who is God? Okay, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Picture this. Live in the text. I saw the Lord. Above him stood the seraphim. Seraphim are great burning angels. Huge. Above him stood the seraphim, these burning ones. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, one of these burning ones flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Okay, John 12, 41 indicates that this this king, the Lord sitting high and lifted up, is the pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? Okay? Jesus has always been. He has always existed. When you're facing the dark night of your soul, Jesus has always existed. And he's seated on a throne, high and lifted up, attended by these otherworldly creatures because he's completely in control. So when we face the dark night of our soul, Jesus, the one who has always existed, is in control, complete control the one who is worshipped and served by these... I want to meet a seraphim one day, maybe. That'd be scary. But he's worshipped and served by these magnificent creatures, and he's also the one who can and does declare innocence. He calls you. He cleanses you and me. And then he commissions you and me. When we're facing things in our lives that just seem hopeless, we need this picture. This is true. Here's number two, Mark 14, verse 32. And they, this is Jesus and some disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. This is Jesus being this one that we just read about in Isaiah 6, he's being greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The account of Matthew says that Jesus fell on his face. 
He was so distraught at what he knew he was about to go through on the cross. Luke 22 says that he was in agony, and so he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood. So after this picture in Isaiah 6, this is the eternal one who comes down into humanity, takes on human form, so he's fully God and fully man, and he knows he's going to the cross, and he cries out to his father, he says, Daddy, Abba, Daddy, Father, if all things are possible, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So when I'm facing the dark night of the soul, I also need this picture. The eternal one took my plight upon himself, and he's in the garden, and you know what he's, 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 he's rocked by what he's about to do. He falls on his face, but he still says to his father, you know what? Not my will, but your will be done. I need that picture of Jesus when I'm hopeless. And I need to follow him. Father, your will be done. And then here's the third one. Revelation 1, verse 12. This is John with this vision. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes, like a flame of fire his feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. This is a symbol of power. From his mouth came a, two-edged, a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full energy or full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is the the king who is reigning right now. Those seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches. This one, the king of everything, who died and was raised again, like that is crazy. He's sovereign over everything, the seven stars. The, the Romans used to put seven stars, the constellation Pleiades, on their coins, and it was a symbol of sovereignty. So the fact that John talks about Jesus holding these seven stars was treasonous in first century Rome. But it's true. He's the one with the control. He's speaking with the, with the word of truth, and he's among those seven lampstands. When I'm in the dark night of the soul, I need to know that Jesus is among his churches right now. He's speaking the word of truth. He's in control. And he looks at me and says, fear not. And he doesn't say, fear not because you're good. You got this. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last. I have the keys to death in Hades. We don't get to escape death. We talk about the dark night of the soul. Right? It's a description of death. And we don't escape death on our own because we don't have the keys to death in Hades. But Jesus does. 
Here's number four. Revelation 19, just a few pages over. Then I saw heaven opened, starting in verse 11, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven... Picture this, the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Sounds kind of scary. What is this? What is he talking about striking down nations, ruling them with a rod of iron? What's this winepress of the fury of the wrath of God What's going on here? So this is another picture of Jesus. You see that in white, flame, eyes like flame of fire, called the word of God, the sword going in and out of his mouth. Right? His name is faithful and true. You know what? You can trust him. So even if we don't understand necessarily what some of these hard things mean, we can trust him. He's faithful and true. Okay? And he's also, this is a picture of the conquering king. There are things in this world that are not right. Lots of things in this world that are not right. And these things that are not right in this world are because of us. But Jesus is coming. When he, comes, when he comes back again, so we've seen Jesus, the, the eternal one before, high and lifted up, the one in the garden that's preparing a way, and then we see him again amongst his churches, even right now, and then, and then we see him returning again one day as a conquering king, and he will set things to rights. He will set things to rights. We do not want to be on the wrong side. We do not want to be opposing this conquering king because he is in complete control, and he will set things to rights. And here's number five, just a couple chapters over. Revelation 21, John says in verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This new Jerusalem, this new city of God where God's going to dwell is us. It's the church. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is a picture of the end of everything. When we're united with Christ, when we're perfected, and we're united with Christ in that glorious heavenly wedding, the dwelling place of, with God, or the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And he will wipe away every tear. This life is full of tears. There's some good things for sure. But this life is full of tears and he will wipe away every tear. Death is the last enemy. And it says here, death will be no more. There shall be no mourning, no crying, or no pain anymore. Some of us are hurting in a lot of different ways, physically just hurting in pain all the time. Guess what? There's good news. 
because of what Jesus has done and because he's coming back because he's in control of everything and he's preparing a place for us, we have eternity in front of us with no more pain. No more pain. Amen? No more fighting amongst ourselves. That's all going to be gone. No more dark night of the soul. This is good news. When the psalmist says hope in God, this is what he's talking about. This is the picture we have to have. This isn't some little platitude that, that goes on our fridge. It should go on our fridge. We need to remind ourselves of this all the time. But we need to remember the object of our hope. And these are the pictures that I need every day, that I need to go to, to remind myself things will be okay because he's got this. He's got this. I just want to show a video that I hope will bless you as much as it has blessed me. Hope in God, the real one. And you will again praise him. My salvation and my God. Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have this sure word of prophecy, this more sure word of prophecy, uh, where we can, it's been written down for us. Um, it doesn't pass away. All of the attempts that have been made to destroy your word have utterly failed because you are behind its preservation and you cannot fail. Lord, I thank you that we can turn into these pages. We can see these visions of you. We can see these pictures of you. So much stronger than anything else. So much purer than anything else. So much more joy-filled than anything else. You are a God of joy, and you rejoice over your children with singing. Some of us have never been rejoiced over, but you rejoice over your kids with singing. This is marvelous, and we're thankful for this. Father, I ask that you would just get deep into our hearts, Lord, Transform us from the inside out. Be our God. And, and make us your people, God. And for those who are just really struggling with hopelessness, Lord, I pray that you would minister to them deeply. And um, show yourself for who you are. I just pray in Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory. Amen.